Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruiting fans by Sooners360.com. Each week, we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting news and provide opinions and evaluations on all things OU football recruiting. I'm Chris Mason, lead recruiting analyst for Sooners360.com. I am joined this week by my regular co-host, Caleb Cummings, Sooners360.com talent evaluator and opinion creator. This is episode 66, titled uh, Big First Junior Day Weekend. Uh, As always, we will begin with the latest in Sooner recruiting news. And Caleb, the portal at the very end of this December-January time period, at pretty much the last day possible, uh, got us a got us a commitment. So, Jerrion Hatchett, the offensive guard from Washington, who has two years to play, uh, was recruited by Bill Biedenbaugh heavily out of out of high school. He visited unofficially twice, and I kind of thought, oh, you had a shot at him. And then he made it. He made a decision before official visit started, and it made, it was pretty clear that he was going to his choose his local. Uh, choose his local uh, area, high school, I'm sorry, college, uh, the Washington Huskies. Um, He's played some uh, for the Huskies over the last couple of seasons. Uh, Caleb, we talked about him last week because we thought there was a chance this was going to happen. So um, I know you've put a good update on our message board about that. And uh, for those who are not on our site, you should subscribe to our site to get Caleb's uh, full opinions there. But Caleb, what I want to talk about is we've we've gone over him before. He's an offensive guard. He's not a tackle. But what I would like to talk about, Caleb, is um, his potential at maybe being a center for OU, and and what a what that could do for a potential OU lineup um, this fall. So, Caleb, give us a little give us a, a little bit of your thoughts on maybe why center might be his best position for for the Sooners. Oh, uh, you know, it's something I get yeah, right. I, and we have to remind me if we, if I gave my breakdown and thoughts on, on him on the podcast last week, but we did, you know, we did for the most part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And definitely did on the site. Yeah. And that was one of the things I mentioned, you know, so watching his game and like his strengths and his weaknesses, 
right and uh, where I think he would excel. It, for me, it's just, you know, as you look across the NFL, I think if we kind of use that as the barometer here, right, what you'll often see is, you know, a lot of your centers can be smaller, lighter guys, guys that are athletic. You know, you're going to you see a lot of the shade technique. And obviously the NFL, they run probably a lot more heavy zone uh, by and large. I guess you still see a lot of the, the pin and pull techniques and, and gap scheme as well, right? But in that in that in playing center, you're just never oftentimes you've always got help. You've got a guard, someone there to chip and to help you. It's really rare, even you're playing like an odd front that you're gonna get a big nose guard over the top of you, that it's mono versus mono, you have no help. That's just super rare. I mean, you'll get some you know, some pressure packages that, that happens. And, but again, it's not, not the common, commonplace thing. So what that does, I think for a guy like Hatchet is it takes where his weaknesses are, where he's not real heavy, right? He's, he needs some more sand in the pants. I think it's something I put on the site, right? But he's got very good base, really agile. He's got really quick feet. He's not really long from a, uh, an arm length perspective. I actually think his arm length's not terrible. What he's not is he's not super broad at the shoulder, right? He's not super wide. Like you look at a guy like, uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but you know, Jake Sexton, where Sexton has long arms, but he also has like unbelievably like broad shoulders. So it makes his swing span just massive. He's, 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 it's not that way with Hatchet. Really well built, lean, athletic. He's somewhat, he's strong, don't get me wrong, but he's not, again, he's not a big mauler. Well, at center, you're always going to have help more times than not. In the run game, you're usually working up to the second level. You're chipping with a guard, right? You're trying to scoop and reach a shaded defender. So you get that athleticism, that those quick feet, those things come into play. You know, you've got a guy like Jason Kelsey, who's probably, and he's absolutely one of the top three centers in the history of the NFL, maybe, you know, one or two, you'll hear some talks there, right? But he's a top three center. He's six, three, three Oh five ish. Right. So about the same size as hatchet. He was I think two eighty five or so coming out, but you know, what helps him again, it's that athletic ability, the ability to move, uh, you know, the ability to get his pads under, under the defender. So I just think there's so much of the, so many of the weaknesses he has, get hidden and helped, particularly if a guy like, you know, Jake Taylor kicks into a guard, if that was able to happen, where if Oklahoma's two guards are 6'6", 315, 6'4", 315, if Nwewu is the other one, opposite. Now you've got bigger, stronger, longer, more physical maulers on either side of an athletic, agile, intelligent uh, center. You know, it's it, you know, I just think it's – you look even back at some of the better Oklahoma centers. Uh, John Cooper, not a big, huge guy. 6'2", 300, 305 pounds. Gabe, 6'4", 300 pounds, eating every helping of pasta he could get. You know, again, it's just not that position, you know, of what you can – intelligent athletic guys can really excel in that spot. And that's probably, you know, two of the adjectives I would use to describe uh, Hatchet. So, so along those lines, so what you're kind of envisioning for me is sort of a, an O-line of sextant at left tackle, either sort of a, a 
brawl fight between Taylor, maybe Ozetta or Brooks at left guard. You go with a younger guy, but who who would be flanked by veterans, Sexton on the left at tackle, and Hatchet in the middle, who's a veteran, right? He's played a lot of played, played a lot of ball. Then you got No Way Wu at right guard, and then either um, Brown or Tarquin has won the right tackle position based upon those two guys improving under Bell and um, and and just playing, you know, improving under Bell, going through strength and conditioning. So that's that's kind of what you're maybe pitching is that 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 O line works and sells, right? You got big tackles, athletic tackles, two big athletic guards. And then you've got a, an athletic, agile center. And you do have a youngster at one guard position, but you've got him flanked by two guys who have more playing time so they can help them through that development cycle. Yeah. I mean, for me, like that's, if I'm laying it out and looking at it, that would be maybe a best case scenario, right? Where you've got Sexton just locks down your left tackle spot. So you take a guy like Logan Howland and you can say, okay, expectations are you're just going to work your butt off and you're going to be our number two at left tackle, right? Learn from him, get rolling. Left guard, I would, you know, a guy like you would hope that Jake Taylor's in a place where he can fight to be one of your best five. And if he's fighting to be one of your best five, my assumption, and this is again, a very uneducated one is you look at the, the amount of snaps Tarquin and Brown have in the Big Ten and the SEC and the Pac-12, I suppose, because Tarquin played at two places, Florida and USC. They've got a ton of snaps at right tackle, right? That gives you the ability to say, okay, we're going to let you two kids fight this out at right tackle. You know, maybe if it's Tarquin, if it's Brown, you got you two will figure that out. Let's take Taylor, kick him inside. You know, he he looked really good at guard as a true freshman. He was a mauler, right? Physical kid. And some of those things where maybe he doesn't move his feet. Great. It, you know, again, you're playing inside. Good example, right? On the edge, you're playing against a six foot, let's say six, 235 pound edge rusher, like Arizona had that kid that kind of ran by him once, right? Well, you get inside and you're playing against a guy like Sweat that's six four, three sixty, But, you know, he's really good straight line coming at you. That's, I mean, that is tailor-made for Jake Taylor, right? Not, you know, pun intended here. It's tailor-made for him. You know, your weight room guy that strong as an ox, you're going to get these big guys coming right down the pipe on him. You know, with his length, uh, that size, he should just be something he should, you know, excel at or be it, be a strong point for him. And like you said there, right, you've also got the ability, okay, when the way we take a guy like Brooks, you're able to toss him in. And say, all right, you're going to be able to learn from Nawewu. We don't have to have you day one, but if you know, if you can go earn that, go earn that. You know, uh, I, I think that would be, and it's honestly same thing. I would say at center too, right? Now Oklahoma's not going to be in a spot where they have to just roll with Everett and say, okay, you're our guy. We don't have anybody else. It's you or Bates as a as a freshman. You can take Hatchet and throw him in at center and say, okay, one of you two, like you guys, go fight for it, go earn it. Let's get this figured out. Let's have that competition and let's get after it. You know, and then loser of that spot, right? Let's say Hatchet wins. Well, you know, now now with Everett, you've got a guy that's played a ton of snaps at left guard, a ton of snaps at center. He's played some snaps at right guard. Now you've got a swing backup interior player that if somebody rolls an ankle, somebody goes down for a short period of time, a long extended period of time, 
you can plug him in and you feel good about it. So, you know, I, that would be, and I also think if you're asking me what from a run game perspective and what I think could really excel and, you know, we'll see again, we've, and I'm, I know we'll get into this on the site and we'll get into it on a later pod, maybe what we can expect from uh, Seth as an offensive coordinator. Right. But with like multiple personnel groupings, we see a lot more tight end. We see multiple tight ends. Are we going to see just, you know, a lot of variation there? I mean, having a physical run game where you can maul folks up front. Right. Like that's that's the best uh, recipe to help a, a inexperienced quarterback, which Jackson Arnold will be going into year one as a starter. At least in my opinion. OK, well, that's I think. I think we're along the same lines there. We've talked a little bit about that on the, on the site and it, it would be an interesting combination. Cause I do think, you know, if you, now that all the rankings are in, we can don't like Bill Budenbauer, like what Bill's doing. I think we can conclusively say now that Bill got two very high end looking offensive guards, right? Eugene Brooks is now a top 100 composite. Eddie Pierre Louis is a top 30 player, top 33 player in the nation on one ranking service. And another one thinks he's pretty good. And the other two are like, does he have film? Who is he? The other two have never watched him play. So (laughs) we've watched him play. So we know that it just seems to me that like, there's a Brooks and Eddie Pierre Louis. Great. Right. That that's perfect. Um, You give him a chance to, to go there, fight that up, fight those guys. And and if, and and if they're in a battle, and all of a sudden, and you and you and Bill's like, man, I got three guys I could put out there. That's that's great too, right? So I think that's that ends this portal sequence. OU's added a good group. We'll probably do maybe a little wrap up on them in the next week or two. But we've got quite a bit of high school uh, news based upon the title of this with the junior weekends coming up. But Caleb, I I, I do want to feed you a little a little extra. Portal news to talk about it. While we think the madness was over, I don't think it's going to be over. And spring portal could get very interesting based upon some stuff that might be happening this week. So for those who don't follow, the first thing is Boston College's head coach, Halfley, has resigned to go be a defensive coordinator with the Green Bay Packers. So Technically, Boston College's kids, even though academically, I don't really know where they can go other than maybe some quarter transfers in the Pac-12, maybe, or I don't even think that's accurate. Those kids are going to be able to um, to put themselves in the portal, and they won't have to really wait until after spring to um, put themselves in the portal. So uh, Boston College players, are, are could there could be some... Some chaos there at Boston College. There also could be some chaos at UCLA. We're hearing a lot about Chip Kelly maybe becoming an offensive coordinator in the NFL. We all know Chip hates recruiting and the current recruiting NIL environment. It's a mess even for, I think, the best recruiter, who was Nick Saban. I think Nick was sort of like, I've done everything I need to do. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. So it's a mess. It's pretty... yeah, you're being nice calling it a mess. Yeah, we could we could get ourselves into a lot of trouble with some f bombs and some other some other analogies of 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 crudeness. But Caleb, if 
if Boston, if you had your wish house, I, I, I think Boston College is somewhere you might want to raid for, 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 for a guy, um, a guy or two. It, it looks like Boston College, if OU was looking for an offensive tackle coming out of spring, and we need to give the guys in spring all the chance to lock down positions and prove what's going on. But if OU was looking for a tackle coming out of spring, it, it looks like there's a guy at Boston College who would be who would be Walter Rouse kind of just in that perfect wheelhouse to 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 work under Bill for a year and make himself an NFL an NFL prospect. Uh, by the way, for those that don't know, Walter Rouse is having a great uh, great sh- he's having a good weekend and a good week at the Shrine Game, and the NFL guys really felt like Bill. Uh, based upon um, Jim Nagy, who was on the Gay Biker and Teddy podcast, he was talking about they really, the NFL guys really felt like Bill helped Walter Rouse greatly. They felt like his film was really improved from Stanford. He was injured, so it's a little hard to know exactly what level they're talking about. But um, I think I think OU definitely and Bill has a message that in April, you know, late April. Uh, after the draft, is he's definitely going to have a message he could pitch that, look, I you come here for a year, I, I, I could make you an NFL guy. So um, Boston College, it looks like they got a couple of tackles that would be of interest. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny in some regards because one of the kids, so the left tackle, Logan Taylor, I talked about him last cycle. When he so he's he's a transfer from Virginia. He registered his first year at Virginia, started at left tackle in twenty twenty two at UVA, and then hit the transfer portal. Uh he's from Nova Scotia, I actually believe, and uh transferred to BC and started at left tackle for them this year. So he'd actually have two years left. But he was a kid, you know, when when he hit the portal last year, I really I, I put on our side and he was a guy that I was interested to see if Bill would go after for the very Honestly, and I said this, I used him as an example of why I thought it was important this cycle that Oklahoma get a young offensive tackle. It's so that as they go into 2025, well, hey, now you've got this just like Kitan, and not that everybody's going to be a top 15 or a top 10 pick because that's not reality, but you're plugging in someone that's been in your system, has a ton of experience, right? And I thought, man, Logan Taylor could be that guy, right? You know, Oklahoma had got him last year. He probably plays a ton this year as a backup allows you to redshirt Sexton. And then this year you've got, you know, Taylor and Sexton, right? Uh, the other one though, Ozzy uh, Trapio, I mean, he's started at right tackle. He's only gotten better. I mean, he's more, he would be more of a one-year rental. He, he's an older kid. He's got one year left, future NFL guy, both of them. I mean, it's uh, very stereotypical. Like if you're a college football fan, and you have been for, let's say, like the last 20 years, every time you'd pop on Boston College and their offensive line would run out, you'd be like, hey, look, they're all 6'6 six, six to 6'8, six, flat-bellied, and they move well. Like, it's exactly what you expect from a Boston College offensive line. Like, it's, I mean, both of them, I think Taylor's 6'6, six, 3'10, Trujillo's 6'7, 6'8, 3'15, you know, lean, athletic, long guys. I mean, uh, if Oklahoma, if, if either one of those guys, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of poaching going on for both of those guys because maybe one of the most valuable things is offensive linemen in the portal, you know. And so I would say this. To me, where it's interesting, and I'll be really interested to see how this goes, is 
I thought in, I think, I think Brent said this, said as much, right? That going into the 2022 season, I'm sorry, going into 2023, what he learned from 2022 was maybe should have been more aggressive in the portal, right? Maybe there's some spots here and there that we like the kids, want to give the kids the benefit of the doubt, but we should have been more aggressive. They were much more aggressive to the point that, you know, you had a guy like Reggie Grimes that started what? 10 or 11 out of 13 games in 2022 that barely played a snap in 2023 and, and you know, has hit the transfer portal. And then same thing, right. With, uh, with Dijon Terry, you know, it was like, I mean, you look what they would, did a defensive tackle. They went out and got Terry and Sears and these guys and said, right, I'm just going to figure it out. I mean, Sears played a handful of snaps because it was just, they didn't guarantee anything. I'm going to be very interested to see, if they take that same approach on the offensive line, if they look at both those BC kids and say to themselves, you know what? I know we like the kids we've got. I know we like the transfers we brought in. We like the young kids. Both these kids can make us better and we need competition. And so be it. And just go out and try to get one to be better. You know, whether they start or, you know, Spencer Brown starts or Tarquin starts, whatever that is, uh, I, I would be, I, I'd be interested. So, so Caleb, I, I, I know you don't have like total recall of the UCLA roster, but if Chip was to leave, we, we think there's some, probably some gems on that roster that are going to get picked off pretty quickly, right? I would think there'd have to be. Uh, you know, there was a, a good offensive guard that hit the portal. Uh, I think he started at Purdue, was a starter there, transferred to UCLA, started at UCLA, hit the portal, uh, and then he backed out and ended up back at UCLA. And it may have just been you know, wanting to get a little bit more money from the collective there. Uh, you know, I mean, they've got say what you will about Chip, right? I, I think he's when he came back in, he built the UCLA program really the right way, right? Where he went out and it was we're going to identify guys that have the traits that we want to play in our system. We're going to get them in here. We're going to develop them. We're going to build up a roster. They had one of the better defenses in the entire country this year. I know they had a good DC, but you don't make chicken salad from chicken shit, right? They had good players. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think there's got to be some guys, whether that's offensively or if that's on the defensive side. And, I, you know, defensively, you know, I would think there's got to be some maybe an interesting one. I wonder if Oklahoma could look at like an interior. I know they had a veteran nose guard, Jay Taya or something along that along those lines. I'd be interested to see if, uh, you know, Oklahoma doesn't take a look at someone like that to come in and just give you another big body alongside DeJon Terry, unless they've already loved Jaden Jackson. and think he can be a, a rotational guy. Okay, well that's that's enough portal talk. I think that's uh, it's I, it's interesting that we could see several college coaches leaving and leaving some programs kind of in the lurch there. But we're going to shift to what happened last this weekend. Well, last weekend really with OU's first big junior day. OU kind of finally entering the the junior day um, news uh, news circuit. Other schools have been having junior days before OU, and OU was kind of sitting waiting for theirs. So the first big piece of news is we appear to have a silent commit. So it's the dreaded silent commit time, the unknown commit. We got a double fist bump from 
Brent Venables that Kevin Sperry posted, and in the uh, and recently that's indicated a 2025 commitment. It hasn't gone public yet, and as we know, there's often some lead time uh, between things going public. Um, certain people need time to to redo their graphics and drop and and redo their their graphics and make graphics for kids. Um, so we're waiting on we're waiting on 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 it. If this was if this was we were if we were splicing in sound effects like some super professional pod, we'd have like the Jeopardy music playing in the background, like and you know, and so so it would be like silent commits for five hundred. Chris, what's your answer? So, um, I'm going to give three names, which I think are the most realistic names that could be the player. I'm not going to ruin anyone's anyone's moment, but I'm doing this for a reason because Caleb, I got I got to lead. It's going to lead into a question for you and an opinion for you. So, the first name is Tory Blaylock. He is the running back from Humble, Texas. The next name is Kobe Sellers, and while he plays quarterback in high school, athlete in high school, he's going to be a corner on the college level. Everyone's recruiting him at that, and he's from Pearland, Texas. And then the last name is Max Granville. He is a defensive end, outside linebacker from Sugarland, Texas. So, Caleb, unless my unless Apple Maps and my sense of Houston geography is completely screwed up, I think it's very interesting that three guys that are forecasted, projected to OU now, crystal ball, whatever terminology you want to use, that's three Houston area expanded metro area prospects. I think that's pretty interesting that OU's making some noise there. Which makes me unbelievably happy. Uh, you know, Houston is, is just one of the primary hotbeds. I know there's been coaches in the past that talked about, God, I'm trying to think who it was, maybe one of the University of Houston coaches that, you know, mentioned that they felt like if they could just sign every kid out of the Houston metro area that they wanted every year, they would compete for a national title every single year. If you just had your pick of that's all you could recruit, right, was Houston. You couldn't recruit anything else. But with that, you also got every kid out of Houston you wanted. Hey, we'll go compete for a national title every single year. It just, you know, the place continues to blow up, you know, lots of reasons. Uh, but, you know, what excites me about that, and we talked about this, I think, on the website probably over two years ago or a year and a half ago. When you really started pulling back the tape and you looked at when Barry Switzer was the coach at Oklahoma and he inherits the program, they win national championships, they run off the 70s, and they are absolutely dominant. They have a bit of a dip in the early 80s. I mean, a bit of a dip's nine and three, but that's at Oklahoma, that's a dip, right? Nine, three, and one or whatever it is. Like that's that's a dip. We're gonna fire you. You got to get this figured out. He obviously does and goes on a run where what 84 to 87 or 88, they compete for a national title every every year and they win one. Right. And then as you stretch that into like the early nineties and you start to look at these really great defensive players and all these guys, you know, Gary Gibbs would recruit, you really start to dig into it. Like it was amazing to me of like, wait a second, so many of those guys that were the top guys, they were Houston area kids. I don't know who Oklahoma had on staff at that time, how they were able to do that. What, you know, obviously Barry, I mean, Switzer is one of the greatest recruiters of all time. So, I mean, I guess that's a pretty obvious how they were able to do that. But that part of the country, you know, they take football serious. It's uh, it's a year-round thing. 
and to see them be able to get their hooks into that area. I mean, that's something we talked about last winter, right? When I joke, you had the good question about, hey, if you could wipe off, wipe the map with one program, what would it be? You know, I think mine was either Texas A&M or I think it was LSU. And the reason it was LSU is because, I mean, they get all this top talent out of Houston and then they go into, you know, Dallas proper area and DeSoto and Duncanville and stuff. And they grab some elite kids there too. So like, let's get rid of them. But, you know, the big thorn on the side is their ability to go into Houston. And now that Saban is gone and, you know, I know Brian Kelly's a great coach. Don't know how great of a recruiter he is in terms of like going into the same areas that some of the previous coaches would go to, namely Houston, and pulling those top kids. Seeing Oklahoma turn and be able to potentially sign a big class with a bunch of kids out of Houston. I mean, if you're looking for like subtle, more subtle storylines that I think are have larger impacts down the down the line, right? Getting getting your hooks into top Houston kids is is would be the top of it for me. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting trend. A um, and M obviously is both having a dip and trying to pitch a resurgence at the same time, which is a hard message. And a lot of these kids, what what's still true with all everything that's gone on is recruiting is still about relationships on some level, and building that relationships is like a twelve to fifteen month process. So, Elko and his staff are behind on all of these kids for twenty twenty five, right? They've lost all fall, and all these all these guys have known is two really bad seasons of Texas A and M football, where everyone's talking about why they can't, why they underachieve, why they can't do anything with the with the twenty eight million dollar recruiting class. So Elko's trying to re- have a resurgence, like, hey, we're brand new, we're shiny and new, like we're a new car, we're not the busted up old car, you know, come 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 smell our new car smell at at, at College Station. But for the twenty-five kids, they're kind of like, "Yeah, you're, you're, I, you know, you're kind of busted up. I'm not sure that we're buying that." Now, twenty-six kids, they may be able to convince otherwise. But for twenty-five kids, there's a little bit of a an opening, I think, for OU in the Houston area. And this talks to some of the other big visitors of of note from last weekend. And and Caleb, the first name we talked about him last week. He's a five-star. He's a defender. He gets to be mentioned on the podcast as, as, as many times as he's relevant. So Jonah Williams was back on campus for, I think, like the fifth trip in like the last six months. Um, he's from Galveston, which is I, – I, that's a stretch to call that Houston, right? I mean, I, w- I would call it like Houston Metro. Uh, okay, so it's, I mean, it's, it's expanded. It's, Expanded. I mean, it's like anything else. You never, you never feel like you get out of Houston. Galveston. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like Atlanta. Atlanta's the same way. Are we are you, when I first moved to Atlanta, like the border of Atlanta would be like Alpharetta or Sandy Springs. Now it's like Dahlonega, and I'm like, Dahlonega's Atlanta. That's like it's like 45 miles like north of north of downtown Atlanta. That that's Atlanta. Someone someone did, someone said, oh yeah, Metro Atlanta, Dahlonega. I'm like. That, that's not like Metro Atlanta, guys. Um, but Jonah's just a fantastic-looking athlete, and it looks like he had another great visit. Um, I'd imagine he was – I'd imagine OU arranged uh, an opportunity for him to talk to the baseball folks because baseball's ramping up. So to me, that's like the most interesting thing is seeing this – I mean, to get Taylor Tatum and to get uh, Nesta, right? So two 
I mean, you'd call them like right elite football players, high end football players. Tatum definitely elite, but then at the same time, they're both. I mean, kids that will probably be drafted. I mean, the drafts reduced down to what, like twenty rounds now. It's not the same old like sixty round for you know first year draft. Like it's 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 slimmed down. And those are both like legit baseball players that are playing both sports at Oklahoma. And I just wonder. You know, I'm projecting here, but you would think there's a lot of momentum for dual sport guys, particularly football, baseball at OU right now. Yeah, it was nice. Tatum was at the basketball game, too. He came up. Uh, he was in a social uh, media message from one of the other players. Uh, so it was nice. Thanks, Taylor. It's always nice to see you back on campus. Um, but So that's the five-star defender that everyone's really focused on. And, again, if you could have a – you know, there's a uh, one a couple of the sites our competitors have been talking about, Reggie Powers testing at, like, an elite level, like – Everyone looks is looking at Reggie Powers like he could be elite. Well, I'm like I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna suck some hopium because I'm the optimist guy. I know I get accused of that. But Caleb, a, a three team safety of Peyton Bowen, Reggie Powers, and and Jonah Jonah Williams. That to use your phrase and and, and old and we're you know we we joined the SEC, so I think we're officially allowed to use the phrase that dog will hunt. Um, you know, to me that that's a that's a safety threesome that that yeah I, that's that's like a that's a premier kind of defense kind of look. Well, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> well, you're talking about two kids that are five stars, right? And Peyton and Jonah. So, I mean, it doesn't get any more elite than that. You're probably starting to get into. Like not a shot in the SEC school. I mean, maybe Georgia or Alabama would have secondaries like that, but you're probably starting to jump over into the Ohio State secondary territory, where you know there was that span when when Urban was there, right? Not Day, but you really look back on on the talent that Urban Meyer put together on that Ohio State roster and that team. I know everybody would give Ryan Day a hard time and be like, "Oh, you know, you've let Michigan beat you." I mean, I think reality is like. Michigan, it's amazing they played Ohio State as well as they did when Urban was there because you look at that talent, and it was just every kid in the secondary is going to the first round. Their defensive ends are all first-rounders. You know, uh, the, the secondary of, of Jonah and Peyton and, the, and those guys, that is, like that's Ohio State territory when they were, again, you know, with Urban pumping out just first-rounders like crazy. And I think Jonah's uh, – he's got the potential to be – I mean, and Peyton as well, right? Peyton's uh, – Closing speed, uh, you know, just his burst and football IQ. I think he'll get a poise for a huge year this year. Yeah, but Jonah's got this, um, his size and range. It just makes him like what you'd want to draw up in today's game, right? Where everybody, it's just this chess match where one team's trying to get extra DBs on, the other one's trying to get extra tight ends on now. So we're going to bully your small guys and we want to. It's just turned into this, you know, chess match out there. Like he's this ultimate chess piece where it's like, well, he never has to come off and, you know, he can jack up your tight end and run with him or, you know, we'll, we'll blitz him and blow up your, your back. If you keep him in and kind of just do everything you want. He, he looks like a pretty special guy. Yeah. I more athletic Kyle Hamilton, maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, he looks a more, I don't think more athletic, probably tests better. He was a, uh, definitely looks like a more violent Kyle Hamilton. Like more, he's more explosive through the hips. Like when he strikes you, when he, when he, he gets there to strike and sinks those hips, he's bringing some velocity and some energy with him, you know, but yeah, that's not a bad comp. So obviously everyone's obsessed with O-line recruiting. Um, every, I try and post stuff on our boards and sometimes it gets redirected to O-line recruiting, even though I was like, I don't want to talk about that right now. So I understand it. It's fine. And fortunately, Oh, you had two elite tackles, both on campus, Lamont Rogers and Andrew uh, Babalola. Um, just there's a photo of all five of uh, five of the guys who visited, along with Owen Hollenbeck and um, Makai Stewart, an offensive tackle from California, who OU's evaluating, and um, Joshua Moses, who's an offensive guard committed to Texas A&M, who was a surprise name. But but Rogers and Babalola are just I mean, they're they're monstrous looking. They're these bookend tackles that you would want. And and Caleb, they apparently both had very good visits. Rogers, we talked about. He came up for the TCU game. His whole family was there. They got the entire. It's nice that the whole family's there, so the whole family gets the OU presentation. Uh, the Soul Mission, Bill, the whole nine yards. It doesn't hurt that it's the same weekend as you know. Hey, by the way, we're going to have two guys at the Senior Bowl and one at the Spring and the Shrine Game. We're about to get drafted. Not hurt. Doesn't hurt to have that message going up, going out front. Um, uh, and Babal Babalola was uh, drove in. That's the first time he visited OU. He's around all of the OU verbals because um, all the OU verbals were on campus, uh, especially Kamori Moore, who's from Missouri. So close, but not at least Summit North is not Kansas City area, but it's it's close enough that that's that that probably helps OU. So, oh, you had a really good weekend with both of them. Uh, Caleb, one of your favorites, uh, CJ Nixon did come in. He did visit. He's a little quiet on social media. He's playing a lot of hoops. So the fact, oh, you got him in is great because he's tied up. Like most kids are traveling all over the country. And CJ Nixon is playing hoops every weekend. So, oh, you to get yeah. him in. Well, I mean, he's that's uh, big. Weatherford's got to be, I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I think they were state runner up last year. Or I remember kind of following and seeing some of it. I know they were they thought they would win state. It was like a big deal. Western Oklahoma school going to come in. And it doesn't happen a lot as you get to like that, whether they're 4A or 5A, right? As you get to the bigger classification, I think it seems rare that you get a, a rural area, Western Oklahoma's team, to go in and, and beat, you know, metro schools from Tulsa and Oklahoma City. It just doesn't happen. I think they got runner-up last year. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure – uh, I think they've got another really good team. If I'm not mistaken, I think maybe it's in his class. I think that's right, that it's, you know, like a group of kids that grew up together are really good athletes. And so, you know, he, yeah, I mean, to get him in, because to your point, right, that kid's going to be locked in from now until, I don't know, I mean, state tournament is maybe March in Oklahoma, I think. Uh, you know, they're at the, the big house and the fairgrounds. I don't know if they play the bigger schools there, but, uh, and he'll move from there, I'm sure, and he'll move straight into like AAU stuff, right? So getting that guy on, in on campus when you can is huge. We would hope, you know, be be would be massive. I think if they could get get him to to lock in soon. And they just, I think they're kind of building a lead too, because it's easy from to visit Oklahoma, right? 
he can he can visit Oklahoma. There's Oklahoma players, pro, verbals and prospects that you know that he's that he's connected with. So I think it's um, I think the basketball thing is I think may end up working in OU's favor because it's like well you know it's hard for me to get to these other places. And yeah, I mean, keep going to OU and I know OU, OU players better and. It's interesting. And, I, I think it's probably a double-edged sword there, right? I think it's either, hey, that works in Oklahoma's favor because, like, like you said, he, he, you know, he can't be going to the Georgia and the Alabama and the LSU and the Notre Dame, right? Michigan, Ohio State. He can't go to these, you know, their their junior days, right? These are be long trips for him. Uh, probably play on Friday night, turn around, and got to play on Monday or Tuesday. Got probably. I assume, you know, as, as serious as they are about basketball, they probably have some weekend engagements or some shoot arounds and stuff, even for their high school. So getting away until he may be later in the spring, uh, you know, so if they can get some momentum and get him to pull the trigger where he just says, you know what, I know this is what I Wilson, you sent the game winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What I want to do is where I'm going to go. I'm going to lock this in now. would be huge. I think the flip side of that would be, if he says, well, I haven't been able to visit anywhere, so I'm going to run this out, uh, you know, really far. You know, you hope that doesn't happen. So one interesting name of a guy who visited um, is Cole Bruhler, the three-star defensive tackle from Hunt Academy. Um, he was back on campus, and OU, uh, Todd Bates was just back out at Hun this week at his campus seeing him. So, and OU has a and OU's been recruiting Hun pretty heavily. They uh, Logan Howland's from Hun. They have an offer to a linebacker at Hun Academy for twenty twenty five. Kamar Archie, who's a is a an interesting guy. He's sort of this. He's not. He's not he's sort of Adrian Peterson physique looking kind of guy at running back for them. But he's also a a, a powerful linebacker. So. Brutal's an interesting guy. I kind of wonder, is he a tweener? Where does he fit? His his footage is really good, but I kind of, because it's it's good, but it's also a little deceptive because uh, that footage has Owen Waffle in there, who's going to Michigan, right? And then Owen Waffle has a younger brother who OU just offered for 2026. So I went back and looked at uh, the young the younger Waffle, which sounds funny to say, but the younger Waffle's, Highlight reel, and you can see Bruler and Owen Waffle just collapsing the line, and and him at, at end is just sort of feasting. He's just sort of feasting on stuff. So it's like, so the Hunt Academy has kind of a, that's probably a brutal, especially for prep football in the Northeast D line to face. One guy at Michigan, 
one guy who has Penn State, Michigan, and OU offers, and then like a 26 kid who's got Penn State, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Michigan offers. That's that's a lot of D-line to face. What do you think about Cole? Am I wrong that he's a bit of a tweener? I, I kind of – I'm uncertain if he can get to that 6'3", 285, 290, because he's obviously like a three technique with that kind of burst and yeah. physicality. Um, one of the other competitors was saying – I'm trying. They were they were asked for companies like well, I'm trying not to fall into the the obvious pitfall of using, you know, Dusty as a comparison because the kid plays with a super high motor. I mean, and he's really physical. So Caleb, oh, use the D line pitchers a little scrambled. I talked about guys last week that they added. They offered some offers. What do you think of Cole Brule? He looks like he's going to take his visits. So. He may play this out a little bit. So what, what's your thoughts on him? Because he is an interesting guy, and he certainly he kind of has that sort of like Brent, old OU defense kind of look. I mean, because the kid's really physical inside. I mean, he's, he's got a short haircut. He is all about football. He has the best rival. He has the best 247 profile photo in the entire database where he looks like he's just came out of lifting weights. Um, it's, it's not like a glamorous shot. It's pretty much like, I'm here, I'm here to, I'm here to, you know, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of bubble gum. So to, to, to use uh, the Roddy Roddy Piper, they live reference. So what do you think of Cole? Uh, You know, it's, uh, again, talk a little bit about sometimes you, you know, your biases can seep in. And so I know, you know, I think that's actually a strength to understand that you do have, you know, I don't go down like any rabbit holes, but understand like, hey, you know, there's certain things that I value more, right? And uh, like his tenacity, his physicality, his demeanor and motor, he looks like just, you know, I love it when I watch a kid on tape, like, man, he was like an asshole. I like that, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's what you get with him. Uh, like, it's, it's what you want, right? You know, uh, what was it? I heard, you know, heard guys talk about, oh, you know, uh, it was Howie Long talking about Lyle Alzado, you know, and said, if I was going to go into a fight in a dark alley, you know, with the guys with the guns, I would take Lyle and give him a club, you know? And, and, and I think that's when you, when you watch to me, like Cole, I, I probably don't worry as much about him getting to 290 just because he is a weight room guy lives in the weight room. I think as, so as a sophomore in high school, well, I guess as a junior in high school, he's 250, you know, I, I'm sure going into his senior year, he'll probably be, north of 260, 265, maybe 270, right? And guys like that, that just you're going to live in the weight room and get after it. They're going to take it serious. And they're going to do the work to get there. You know, it may not be this just natural going to run around, you know, and just snap his fingers and be there. But if you get to the end goal and I mean, some could probably argue it's more about it's, it's better when it's this methodical way of putting on mass uh, I would just bet on them. And it's just that demeanor, you know, I think we, everybody does. And I, especially you get caught up in the, like, Oh, give me the traits and you know, these things and those things. And one of those traits again, is just like that mentality of being like, I'm going to get after your ass every snap. And like, that's just what I'm going to do. Cause like, that's just how I'm wired because like it's in his soul that like, this is personal, you know, it's an affront to me. If you block me, uh, he seems like he plays that plays that way. And, you know, those are the type of guys that, and you build a team around in some ways I could, you, I would argue 
you know, and, and kind of put this on the on the side a little bit. When you looked at like what Michigan, what they built with Harbaugh, there's a lot of guys like this. You know, Mason Cole, or I'm sorry, Mason Graham rather. Mason Cole was an offensive lineman for Michigan a few years back, but Mason Graham, their nose guard for Michigan, right? Three star kid out of Servite. Uh, I remember when I mean, he was getting recruited, locked into Michigan like right away. And here Michigan is, you know, pumping out defensive linemen and they're going into Georgia and getting the Hinton kid and going kind of all over the country. And it was like, well, why are they going to California and getting this white cert kid from Servite that's a three star by everybody? Like he's not, I don't understand that. And then you watch him play. And it's like all the stuff we just talked about, about just being like mean, nasty, physical, uh, you know, relentless, you know. It's like he's all of those things. It was kind of a tone setter for that. And I think, you know, again, it goes back to like you're building a roster, you're building a team, and you get guys like that. You can build off that. You know, like you may be more talented, but, you know, guarantee he's willing to go further. And I'll take it further than you. So, uh, you know, I bet on the guys like that. I really like them. And I'm also just a big fan. The more I watch like these high school films, I'll be honest with you, we talked about this a little bit. Might have been prior to signing day. The more I watch all these films, because Oklahoma's really expanded their recruiting territory, the more I like kids from the Midwest and the Northeast. When you watch their style of play, it's just more guys hand on the ground. You know, uh, it's a bit more line of scrimmage. You watch the Texas high school football, you know, even some in California, it's a lot more like spread out. Uh, I think can be difficult to judge your defensive linemen particularly interior, even some of your offensive linemen, because it is such like a quick passing game. It's like basketball and grass. Well, you never even really got to see the guy get into their set, you know, their pass set or, or do anything because it was just this quick screen or a quick, you know, quick hitch out to the outside. I think you 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 watch the the Hun team and it's like, man, they are, you know, it's not they're not doing it exactly like they did in like 1999 or 2000. Right? They're not lining up with two tight ends and a fullback and saying, meet me right here. But uh, it's still a it's a very physical. Yeah, it's uh, it's int- I'll be interested to see how that recruiting uh, goes through because, like I said, OU's trying to build some relationships at Hunt Academy, and they always have good kids. And you just watch their highlights, and 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 kids are playing really well. Um, one other additional name who visited that's interesting. It could be a, something that that pans out depending upon other safety targets is Omarion Robinson from Arkansas visited. About six one one eighty. Really good film. He's a little under-ranked right now, and OU has made a big move. And, and Arkansas is a little vulnerable right now, so I think it's, it's, it's a good time to maybe try and seed some relationships at, in Arkansas. So that was the last weekend. Now this weekend, we have another group of kids coming in. It's not going to be as big a group. Of course, I say that, and new names are getting added, and new kids will show up. And OU's allowing, well, I don't want to say allow, but they're going to bring some 26 kids in as well. Uh, but kind of the first name that's co- that has confirmed, and he's confirmed this on social media, that he's going to visit is uh, Lincoln Cure, the 2025 tight end from Kansas, top 50 player in the nation, or by one service, who probably end up something close to that. Um, I've used the Mark Andrews comp when Mark Andrews was in high school, when he was still 6'5", 215. He hadn't quite put on that, that 25 pounds of muscle that has turned him into the pro ball. Um, pro ball and life-saving tight end, you know, Mark Andrews, you know, super, the superhero saving, saving passages on airplanes and, and also an all pro tight end. Um, shout out to Mark for, for, for being, for, 
for for helping that lady on the plane. Um, that story is kind of all over Twitter. Um, but to me, Caleb Lincoln Cure, I love, I love. We talked about Nate Roberts last week, who visited, and we've talked about Desan Brom, who we also love. It's it's a it's we're spoiled for riches in tight ends in region. We have three guys who you would kill to have on the roster. I don't think there's any way you can sign three of them. If you could get two, that would be fantastic. Uh, what do you, wh- where do you put Cure in the Brassam Roberts mix? Is he just different? I I love his playmaking, his speed. It's 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 an embarrassment of riches, really. When especially when you think about Devon Mitchell should be part of this tight end group. <laughs> um, he yeah. actually did owe you a big favor by reclassifying, so he's actually better space him out. But in multiple ways, yeah. Yeah, um, he'll obviously you know pay that back by catching you know ten touchdowns this fall. That's you, that's the goal, Devon. Um, but Lincoln Cure's visiting. He's he's a national prospect. Kansas State's been working him a little bit, and Kansas State you know has good good history with tight ends. The Stinnett kid is probably going to be a draft pick. I'm not sure he'll be a high draft pick, but he's definitely going to be. Like, he'll end up on an NFL roster somewhere. We're like, oh yeah, that's that K State guy. Um, we're watching NFL football. That that's how that's going to work out. So what do you think of Lincoln Cure? And if I, if I tied you into a room and forced you and hooked you up to a polygraph and said, between uh, Nate Roberts, Desan Brahm, and Lincoln Cure, you can only have one, one tight end. You must pick one. Who is it? So at first I would say I love Lincoln Cure. And I'm with you on that, that trio of tight ends. I think it's absolutely elite uh, you know I, I posted this on the board and, and I thought it was fantastic you know got a lot of traction I think the week that the Lions uh, went out and beat uh, gosh the Buccaneers and you know the particularly whenever the the Packers beat the Cowboys right there was a lot of this people pointing out like it, with the tight end is becoming in the NFL with as much spread as 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 happened and we can call it spread right it's just with so much heavy passing game and defenses trying their damnedest to get as many defensive backs as they can on the field tight ends that can do it all i have become i mean there's just a really good argument that tight ends should almost be should be considered you know when they go to be franchise tagged should be considered wide receivers right uh, maybe there's something that needs to be worked out there. They should be getting more money because I think in, in the way the game, it's, I think it's, it's shifting because, hey, you want to put a ton of DBs on the field? Well, we're going to run out there with two and three tight ends, and we are going to absolutely – we're going to put big guys on little guys, and we're going to maul you in the run game. And then, you know, we're, gonna, we're just going to post you up in the passing game, right? Uh, it's just, you know, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's this chess piece, and all of those three – are those guys. I mean, I would say this, if you put me in a room and you tied me up to a polygraph test, I would have to like, I would first ask the question and the question would be, what scheme are we running? Like, what are we doing offensively? You know, like, what are we doing? Like, you gotta tell me what we're doing. Because when I look at it, I, th- I think Roberts is more of, I think Roberts is more in line of your like all purpose tight end. 
you know, I think you you feel more comfortable out the gate, probably, you know, tossing him and saying, all right, we're going to put your hand on the ground in line some. You're going to you're going to help with the defensive end. You're going to get up to a backer. We're also going to flex you some like we're going to move you all around. You know, I think one of the comps I had in some ways was like a Michael Mayer, at, you know, at Notre Dame. And I, and I don't know if I mean, Mayer was a, a specimen physically, but he's also a kid that I think was probably the same size weight and everything as a senior in high school. So he looked like a freak as he was a senior coming out of Notre Dame. Right. Uh, but I think that Nate's a little bit more of that. Nate's a bit more of just like anything you want to do, we can do with Nate. I think we're like Lincoln and Desan. They're a bit more of like, Hey, I think they're going to be fine. If you want to put them, their hand on the ground, I think Brom's probably a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit more sturdy. I think probably a little bit redder, ready right away to say we're going to play you, you know, in line some and have you blocking guys. But, you know, where they are going to be able to ex- absolutely excel is, hey, when we want to go on bunch formations, we want to motion you and kick you out. We want to put you on the slot. We want to move you wide. We're going to do all kinds of things with you to create matchups. They're just, you know, uh, with, again, their athletic ability, like it's it's – I mean, they're both elite. I've thought like Braum in terms of like, I've liked the Mark Andrews comp for him. I thought Andrews coming out was a little thicker in the butt, in the legs. I thought you could see, remember him coming out 6'5", you know, 220-ish, right? He was like, I want to play wide receiver. I was like, man, you're going to do squats for like, you're going to work the posterior chain and squat with Schmitty for six months and you're going to be 240. It's just going to happen. And it did. I think Brom's going to be the same way. I think he's going to be this athletic guy. I mean, Lincoln, Cure, I don't want to say – I don't like to give this comp because he's probably going to go down as the best tight end of all time. And so I don't mean that, like, you know, he's going to be that good. I just mean in terms of, like, what I think. He's got a lot of wiggle. He's – really good in and out of breaks and he's good vertically, but he looks like he's got some small guy and big guy body, but like a Travis Kelsey, you know, where it's like, Hey, look, I'm going to, you know, you're going to run zone and I'm going to find the hole in it. And because I can get geared down really fast and, and just super athletic guy, you know, with great body control, I'll, I'll fit in that little zone and we'll fit it in. And, and then it's a, a six five, 200, or, you know, 255 pound tight end running over your 190 pound safety. You know, uh, I think in time, Lincoln could be that big. But, I mean, give me all the tight ends you can give me. You know, I just think it's it's this, uh, you know, again, I think it's particularly when you've got – they've got receiving ability that those guys have. Because you're – I mean, yeah, you're going to lose a little bit in the passing game versus, you know, a wide receiver. I, I don't know how much, you know. I think every OU fan, you'd look at 2008 and be like, did OU lose anything in the passing game when Jermaine Gresham was split out in the slot? He didn't lose anything. He gained something, you know. So, yeah, it, give, give me give me those type of tight ends all day. Well, you only have to look at the four NFL teams um, last Sunday, right? George Kittle with the Niners. Um, Laporta, who's having – had an unreal rookie year with the Lions. Kelsey and Mark Andrews and the, is it Lightly, who's been playing well for them? Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, so I mean, basically every one of those teams had a tight end playing at an elite level and playing different schemes, different offenses, but all of them with different quarterbacks where the tight end was a huge part of what they did. So if OU could somehow stack 
one of the, or two of these guys to go with Devon Mitchell. So, you know, um, you have three of those type guys and maybe, maybe you already, maybe you have one on campus already. Maybe we're going to, maybe we'll be talking about Bauer that, you know, he looks six five two fifty, and he, he looks great in a Jersey. He looks good in a hoof and guess what? He, He's got everything. So he looks be. athletic. You know, I'm yeah. interested to see him run because I do think, you know, I think uh, the older Roberts gives you, again, like an all around guy. Like, he, you know, not going to be a, a big vertical threat at the seam, but, you know, we'll give you, hey, it's, it's third and six and he's going to go, you know, post up a defensive back and get you eight, you know, that type. Uh, and then I'm really interested to see Sharp. Like, if he can run and can be that athletic kind of move guy, you know, uh, fingers crossed, obviously, as you can tell by my rant there on tight ends, like fingers crossed that Seth's going to come out and do some, uh, you know, some more diverse things offensively. So uh, the next two names are two linebackers. The uh, The first linebacker is uh, Elijah Barnes uh, from Dallas Skyline. And Dallas Skyline is kind of like an OU linebacker legacy Hall of Fame kind of place. Dante Jones uh, from the 80 national championship team and that 80 run we talk about is from Skyline. And more recently, Corey Nelson, who I felt like just that, that, that one injury that, you know, cost him his senior year was he was poised to have a really good year that he was poised to play really well that year. He was having a great year. That was a, was a real blow for OU that Corey Nelson couldn't finish his career. So Elijah Barnes is, he's, he's, he's a, he's a physical athletic linebacker uh, and then Dawson Merritt from Kansas. Um, he's a top 200 kid. Elijah Barnes is a top 200 kid. Caleb, I don't sure you've got a lot of linebacker spots, but Merritt and Barnes have serious physical skills and are, are serious athletes at linebacker. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you nailed it though on it, right? I think Merritt is, he's your more athletic and his t- you see his tape, they play him on, on the edge a lot, and he brushed the passer. I think he's listed at 6'3", 205, and that's probably accurate. Uh, you know, he did, I mean, I don't know why. It probably just because the comp, the thing that one of the things guys that jumped out was like Kip Lewis, and that's not a great comp, I don't think, in some ways, because Kip is definitely an off-the-ball linebacker. I know I think Dawson, as he gets into college, He's an off-the-ball linebacker. He's not. He's not going to be an edge. I wouldn't foresee, right? Even in like a three-three-five or an odd front. I don't. I don't see. He's not going to play an edge spot. But I think just what I think stuck out with those two is you see it with Kip, right? When he triggers and goes, he gets there, and he's you know gets there. He's athletic and he goes. And you see the same thing with like Dawson. You see him. I think, gosh, you know, playing out. Uh, he's just a really versatile guy for them. Rushing the passer, kicking out, covering over the slot, making plays out in the flat. He's you know he's your your will or Sam linebacker in today's game all day long. You know, and with his ability, I think as a blitzer, and it's something you know, like Brent's talked about it and other coaches. You know, a lot of the timing of it and just the feel for doing it, and you know, just understanding like. Gonna got to work half a man. Don't run down the center of a tight end or a running back. Right, get an edge on that guy. Uh, some of that is just 
you know, and you can coach it up. But some guys just naturally have a feel for that, have a feel for timing of the blitz. I think that's, you know, he gives you a ton there as, hey, we, we're going to be able to play off the ball. You're going to be able to cover, tackle in space, run. And as a blitzer, be a, a plus, be a plus guy, really be additive. You know, Barnes, uh, he looks like, I wouldn't say like, uh, Help me with the kid that went from Denton Ryan down to uh, Texas, uh, five star kid, uh, inside linebacker. What's is it Anthony Davis? That's not right. Anthony. Oh, it's Anthony Hill. Anthony Hill. Yeah, Hill's definitely the more athletic guy. Like when you get they get out and like they get full going, gates opened up, and they're going more athletic. But you know, sideline to sideline in the tackle between the tackle box, playing everything inside out, it kind of reminds me of that because they're both 6'2", 225. and when they hit guys, guys are moving backwards, right? Like he really brings it and thumps. Like he's to me, he's an inside linebacker like all day long. Like he is your Mike. We're gonna plug you in at Mike. And, uh, yeah, again, yeah, going to play everything inside out. Go get it. You know, he's – I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think who Oklahoma signed his mic, you know, like with Pachati. He's you – know, I think Barnes much more – like he's got more range, more athletic, faster than Phil. Uh, you know, he would be – he would be, you know, obviously, he would, he would be additive to the class. I'll be interested to see, you know, in – really be interested to see as Oklahoma goes to the SEC, like how that shifts and changes up, you know, because you've got some, you've got some programs like Kentucky that are still get are getting, are, are all about multiple tight ends, run game. It's a bit more on a kind of, you know, pro style in that almost like old school pro style, right? Where it's like really going to try to build this off the run game, play defense and special teams. I think, you know, Mark Stoops is, he's figured that out, that that's a, you know, keeps games, good teams close and with, Average teams, you can, you know, slowly squeeze them on defense and then and wear them down offensively and pull away. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Oklahoma, as they go to the SEC, do they shift? Do they change some things up? Because I think in the Big 12, you can get away a lot of times with, you know, even taking a guy that is a bit more of an outside linebacker type. You know, like everybody talked about it this year. Like Kip Lewis could have played Mike Linebacker. And people talk about should he be your starting Mike Linebacker? You know, I, you know, We'll have to do a deep dive on on the SEC. I don't know if that's going to be the case in the SEC. If you're going to need to be like, no, we've got to go recruit guys like Elijah Barnes to play Mike linebacker. We're, we're not going to run around with the 215 pound Mike. We need we need Kobe McKenzie. Yeah, you need a guy like this, maybe uh, something like that. Um, another good news item for you, uh, Caleb. It looks like Smith Arogbo will be on campus this weekend. So yeah, I know that's another name. I know that's another name. Um, there's, I've called him like the, the the pre early PJ. That he flashes it. We'll see. We'll see where OU is with is with him visiting. Uh, it's a good sign that OU offered him, and he's already, um, you know, coming up on campus. So we'll see. That's where huge. OU- that's huge because you know when you you shared his stuff on the site and I went in and watched it, I was like, oh my God, yeah, 6'5", 220, and looks like he's just, <laughs> it looks like they tossed him out there. He's like a year ago and said, all right, son, just go get the guy that has the football. Okay, coach. You know, like he never played. And it was just this, you know, twitch off the edge, like I said, long for days. And immediately thought, oh man, like that's the type of guy where you get him in and then, you know, he's the type of guy that would go un- 
under the radar a little bit in the years past. And then you would see, you know, you're playing against Oklahoma or playing for another team you're watching and you'd look at him physically and be like, how the hell did that guy end up there? Like why I'd never heard of this guy, you know, uh, if you get him in a weight room. So, to see, but he's not going under the, under the radar when Oklahoma throws an offer out in January, I, I looked, you know, it was like right after that, it was like Texas and Florida and Texas A&M and within a, within hours or a day, all these other schools had offered. So for him to immediately drive to Norman from, from the Houston area, right? Like that's massive. Yeah. It was one of those, I think Baylor and, and TCU were heavily involved and they were like on like eggshells, like, okay, okay. Everyone ignore him. Just keep ignoring him. Just keep ignoring him. Then all of a sudden, I'm sure they were sort of like, then they saw OU offer. They're like, well, shit, if OU's offered them, we're about to see, you know, everybody else offer them. And you're right. That's what happened. You know what he really Uh, reminds me of? I remember, so when uh, Oboe was coming out of, was it, uh, was it A-Leaf Taylor? Right. Yeah, or that's something right, like that's that. Right, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And when he was coming out, there was another kid that everybody was recruiting that was a little bit longer of a kid. Yeah. Well, but you could watch the film and you could see with Oboe, like he was way twitchier. They'd play him in a defensive tackle and you'd see him physically. He was like a high cut. So you knew, like, oh man, you just start getting him in the weight room and he'll pack on muscle mass. Right. But the thing with Oboe, he always said, was like, God, if he was 6'4, like if he was 6'4, 6'5, he's a top 15 pick. I mean, he's still. I don't know what seven years in the NFL or whatever it is. He got a got a good contract. Both yeah. with, uh, Cleveland. He had a good year at Cleveland. I mean, you know, because because at the end of the day, like if you can rush the passer, like you are extremely valuable, and Oboe can rush the passer. You know, again, if he was if he was six four six five, you're talking about a guy with you know like high end high end ability, and that's what's exciting about you know Smith or Ogbo is. I mean, we'll see if he has the same, you know, like Oboe, like just became such a, you know, a man physically with Schmitty and became uh, just a dog on the field with Mike. You know, he's talked a lot about, I think remember him talking about, you know, the Mike was that guy that brought him along, took him from kind of immature kid that would make mistakes, get down on himself to like every, every like hardcore OU fan remembers that, that Texas game where, you know, he, played every snap and like, it was just, he was the guy chasing, uh, God, what is this? He played quarterback at Texas for like 10 years. It seemed like the kid from, uh, Westlake high here in there in Austin. Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I, I can't pull Elinger, it. Sam Elinger, yeah, right? Sam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Him chasing Sam Elinger yeah. around, you know, around the cotton bowl, Get, getting held the entire fourth quarter while trying yeah. to, I mean, just brutally held. Like, yeah, I mean, they just, finally threw like one flag, like, you know, like a pity flag at him. And I'm sure Oba's like, really? Finally? But, but seeing him just exhausted, you know, yeah. and it was like, it was just this really this testament of like watching someone grow, you know, the way he had over his time at OU. But, you know, Smith, like he's got, he's got some of the traits with that length in the, in, in the, in the frame that, uh, you know, that, that Oboe just physically, you know, genetically didn't have. So exciting to see what he could potentially grow into. Yeah, a couple more names. OU's probably going to get a visit from Jalen Lott. He's a top 30 wide receiver for 2026, whatever that means. Um, speed guy. Um, looks like he's going to be visiting campus. And also, I think there's a good chance that OU will get a visit from Ty Haywood and Ryan Foji, two more offensive tackle guys. Right, Ty Haywood's top 50, top 75 kind of guy. That would give OU three of the 
top tackles are after having visited in January, which is good because Fasusi was pretty clear that he wasn't visiting OU in January. He's been to OU a lot. He camped at OU. He's been to OU games. He he knows OU. He was branching out and going some other places. I think he wanted to come back and watch some watch some practices when OU gets spring ball going, which is something OU does with with some kids and some kids really want to see. And I know OU does a good job bringing kids in and letting them see practice. That 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 clicks with some kids. So Ryan Foji is another big athletic offensive tackle from Texas. He could also be on. He's probably a little bit. Of, he's probably. I don't want to say he's a plan B guy when you're talking about someone who's like 6'5", 280, you know, no belly, long arms, has a has every sort of measurable and um to be an elite kind of offensive tackle down the road. Because that, that's the way it is in this class. I mean, it's just it's just guy after guy after guy that just uh has has a lot of those measurables and just looks really good on the good on the you know, looks good on the hoof. So um, but that's going to close out recruiting. Next week we'll have a podcast. It's going to be after signing day, which is going to be the most pointless signing day I think I can recall. And there's a signing. That, wow. Yeah, you, I forgot about it. I thought it was. I thought it was yesterday. I was like, did I? Did we not? Did we not do a podcast on signing day? But it's the first Wednesday in February, so okay. It's technically next Wednesday because you know. Because the thirty first was Wednesday, so we'll probably we may have some some flashback memory kind of topics to talk about to have a little bit of oh remember we'll, we'll, we're going to age ourselves and do a little bit of oh remember the day when signing day was important and and Robert do some Meacham. of those yeah well that, that might come up um, those sort of topics and remember the day so uh, that'll probably be something that we talk about a little bit we'll talk about obviously this visit. The visits that just happened. Hopefully, maybe we'll, the silent commit will have announced so we can talk about that in some concrete terms. But it's also looking like March 9th is going to be OU's next big visit weekend and uh, coming up. And some athletes, I, I imagine maybe Fasusi might be back on campus. Trent Wilson, the very interesting Maryland defensive tackle, defensive lineman, uh, should be on campus that weekend. I think. A lot of the visits Zach Alley's made, and a lot of the the Zach Alley's all around the country visiting linebackers. So it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see some some national guys coming in in March. Now that OU's got some time to schedule them in, and Zach Alley's had a chance to to reach out. Plus, you know, it's a little bit of like where's Waldo following um, Brent these days? He was in Florida, uh, then he was in North Carolina. Um, Todd Bates is in New Jersey. Uh, Zach Alley was out in California. Visiting All interviewing Noah. for NFL jobs. <laughs> uh, Zach Alley was out in California meeting with Noah McKyle, who's a top 50 linebacker from Cali, who's really, he's really interesting. And, and linebacker itself is going to be an interesting recruiting battle, recruiting cert, you know, recruiting process to evaluate just Alley. Maybe having a different view on prospects, and to your point, Caleb, does OU view that? Okay, we we can't keep adding all these light fly all over the place guys. We we need at least one stick their nose in the middle and smash a running back guy. You know, in every other class, we need one of those guys. We didn't get one of those last year, so it'll be interesting to see how that makes. Plus, Allie's, you know, we're going to try and do some more in depth stuff on 
some of the defensive stuff that we've seen from Alley at his past locations. Because kind of I noticed some interesting three three five stuff he's been doing. So yeah, I'm know. glad you brought that up because yeah, there's a uh, and we'll have some stuff on the site. You know, we've got some something some stuff coming with uh, you know working with uh, another another individual on like more in depth stuff. But I'm really interested on 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 the scheme stuff because I've wondered like when you look at, I mean, and how does that affect recruiting, right? And how does it change recruiting? Yeah, I mean, you know, you just you even just begin to look at, uh, you know, this team right now, right? And I think you would look at defensively, and, and I think you would probably say, uh, obviously, Billy Bowman, you know, but hey, you're probably going to say the next three most impactful, best defenders might be Danny Stutzman, Kip Lewis, Desan McCullough, Right. Uh, and I know, like, also Caleb Desan, I mean, he played a ton. I mean, it, that's the point. Like, you look at the impact he had at the number of fewer. It's like talking about a guy that goes out and hits, you know, 40 home runs with, you know, having only played in 80 games. And everybody else is playing, you know, in 150. And, you know, they're, you know, oh, yeah, played in 100. He hit, 50, he hit 52 home runs. He only hit 40. It's like, yeah, and he got like 400 more at bats, you know, like that's so. I'm just, I'm really interested to see what they do. You know, Brent's always been amazing, you know, at just shifting them. Okay. We want to get our best guys on the, on, on the field and different ways. How can we do that? You know, it was, I mean, he was the first guy that ran some of that three, three, five, you know, at OU back in was it 2011. And it was because he wanted to keep you know, the name you brought up, Corey Nelson, right? It was like, Hey, three of our better players are, you know, Travis, Will uh, Travis Lewis, uh, Tom Ward, and Corey Nelson, like and and uh, Tony Jefferson, right? Like those are those are you know four of our better defenders. In in a lot of ways, Corey and Tony played the same position, which was like Sam slash Cheetah, Nickel Roy, whatever, right? And so it's like we got to find a way to get get them all on the field at the same time. And it was like okay, we'll remove a defensive tackle, you know. Uh, so uh, you know, it, uh, I'm I'm. Probably one of the more more interesting pieces I'm looking to see is is what do they do? You know, because you look at even the young guys at linebacker. You know, it was a guy everybody's loved on film was, you know, Lewis Carter. You're going to go into year two, and he didn't redshirt last year because he played, I think, on like majority of every special teams unit. You know, and uh, with the depth in front of them, can you get him on the field? Like, you got to try to find a way. You're going to go two years of a guy just playing special teams for you, and then Kobe. You know, it's it's a storyline for sure. Yeah, and then I think that, and also, you know, you're just, you you want, you're playing a more difficult schedule. You you need to have better depth. You need to have as many, you need to rotate guys as much as you can, but also keep playmakers out there, right? So you can, if you, if you can sub some guys in, but keep some other guys in with them and mix in, you know, mix those packages up. And uh, I think that's, that, that bodes well for OU if you can defensively, leverage this talent to, to to build your depth so but it looks like uh you know there's a lot of interesting it's not a great d-line big d-line class but there's certainly some interesting playmakers though you can add from other spots uh in this class i mean if you could get cj nixon and and smith Arogbo at on your on your as your pass rushers and then you have maybe granville's playing a linebacker hybrid kind of thing and he's all over the field as well that's 
that's that's when you start, you know, causing deep offenses real problems, right? You've got two six foot five, six six, two fifty pound defensive ends, and then you've got a you know, a pass rushing linebacker who can also drop in the flats and it just all these pieces add up to make that chess match where you're doing something, you're not doing the same thing every time, right? Because we know don't play nickel every play, don't do the same thing every play because good offensive coordinators will kill you, right? Um, those will pull those pieces combined. So so we'll be back next week. We'll have a little bit of uh, signing day coverage, or at least signing day memories, because OU hasn't brought in a single 24 kid. There's no more 24 kids on the on the board. I'd I'd like to create to lie to tell you there's some drama about somebody, but I, I don't lie to you guys on this podcast, or at least I certainly try not to. Um, so nothing about 24, but we'll 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 find some way to honor the old February signing day. Uh, then we'll talk about the visitors that have just occurred, and uh, we'll go from there. That's that's probably going to give us enough enough meat for a, for a show. So thanks, everyone, for listening and downloading and subscribing. Uh, Sooners360.com is our home, our message board. It's a very good board, curated experience, good discussions. There's not a lot of garbage. There's not a lot of garbage posters. Uh, We've got a really good community of people who really want to intelligently talk about OU football. I know that seems contrary to what's capable in the internet message board that has intelligent discussion. I know it's like trying to find signs of life on Pluto. It exists. I'm I'm telling you, we have one. So please give us a try and and join us over there. But we'll always be here on on the podcast. If you're not following me on Twitter, please follow me at cm underscore suitors360.com. I'm doing a, trying to do a much better effort to give you guys more recruiting Twitter content on a daily basis, uh, the news that you guys really want to hear about. So thanks again, and we will be back next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. 
you made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.